0: 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and if you're following along in a Red Pew Bible, that will be found on page number 996, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved loved his appearing. Just a couple of follow-up thoughts and announcements in regard to the things we mentioned this morning before our sermon hour. Number one... Uh, In regard to Summer Family Fun Night, I want to make sure we emphasize two things. When we say Summer Family Fun Night, we don't mean it's for our young families, okay? It means for the family, us as a family of Christ, okay? It is designed for everyone that can make it to be there. And so even as we said, if you're maybe daunted by the potential heat of the evening, we're still going to have the OFC open we would love for you to come regardless of that. Also, as we've, we've started to really try to emphasize over the last six months, is we want to have something at least every month specifically that we can invite our neighbors to and so this is part of our come and see initiative which is you know if you recall back to our uh our marriage seminar and our community date night earlier in the year those things were part of that this is just as much a part of that and so we're trying to strike a balance between uh opportunity for education and learning And service, but also just a good time of fellowship uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ to allow and invite people to come to, to witness that and to get to know us outside of these four or eight or however many walls there are in here in the shape that we have. Secondly, VBS starts again tomorrow night. We'd love for all of you to join us. Again, it's not just for our young people, but I want you to think about this. There is a class for all of our adults, but here's something especially important to think about. As of yesterday, perhaps there's more, and Donis might might know. We have 56 kids registered that are just members of the congregation here, and 86 kids registered that are visitor kids. 86 kids from our community, and perhaps some from family connected to family here, whatever the case may be. But lots and lots of opportunity to connect with people that maybe are not part of the church here or don't know Christ. And so as you come tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, have that on your radar. We have family fun night next week to spend time talking to each other. Let's really try to make sure there's an emphasis on reaching out to those that are not Christians that are here in our midst. And so Part of our come and see, VBS is part of that too. And so be sure to avail yourself of that great, great opportunity. Maybe someone would come to know Christ through these efforts as even some of our friends up here who aren't here tonight, I think they're out of town, but uh, the Labontes came to our VBS for a few years before they became Christians here and part of our assembly. And so it's an awesome opportunity. And so think about that as you come tomorrow night. With regard to VBS... It just so happened that I ended up preaching last year on the night before VBS, and I th- thought it's kind of a neat opportunity to kind of kick VBS off in terms of what we're thinking about. VBS is all about Paul keeping the faith. You'll see the kids' shirts. If you're a volunteer, you'll, you'll, you'll get the shirt yourself. Keep the faith. And the idea comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7. And each night, we're going to be talking about some different circumstances that Paul found him in that led to various persecutions or hardships in which he was able to persevere, in which he was able to keep the faith through those things. Let's spend just a minute talking about that verse, verse number seven, and then let's talk for a few moments about what might be Paul's finest hour, what might be Paul's finest hour Number one, as you look at 2 Timothy chapter four and verse number seven, you remember the three parts of that verse. Number one being, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. The word in the original language is the word agonizomai, which sounds just like our English words, where we get our English word, agony. That is this idea of struggle or competition or endeavoring. It might also be thought about with regard, as you look at that phrase there, to fight the good fight, to battle. Imagine Paul as he is in prison, as he's writing this last letter in his old age to his son in the faith, Timothy. Perhaps as he is sitting there, he's looking over at a soldier who's wearing and he's dressed in his full military garb. And as he's writing these things, perhaps he's thinking about that particular picture, that particular image. And certainly, as you think about Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul writing about the whole armor of God, he was one that, no doubt, was an exemplary individual of wearing the full armor of God. But it wasn't just that he fought the good fight, but also that he finished the race. He finished the race. That is, he endured he persevered, but it's not just that he made it to the finish line, because there's lots of ways that we could make it to a finish line if we're engaged in some sort of race or athletic competition. We might just make a shortcut across the field instead of making it all the way across the track. We might just cut straight across. Oh, we made it to the finish line. We, we, uh, as we think about our life, well, i reached the end of my life. That's not what he's talking about here. He didn't gain some unfair advantage by, instead of a foot race, he hopped into a vehicle and, and made it around the track faster than someone else. He says, I finished the race. That is, I have kept my life within the confines of God's expectations for this race that I was engaged in. His race was full of a lot of obstacles. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but my wife years ago did not like when she was in high school, the fact that she had to run the 300 meter hurdles. It was, it was not really something she volunteered for. And in fact, she actually decided to jump the start so she wouldn't have to race it. But the judge said, it's okay, you can go ahead. And she had to race anyway. And so she made her way kind of slowly around the track and had to jump over those hurdles, right? Paul's race is full of hurdles, his life was full of hurdles, and we'll talk about here in just a minute that even as he's writing these words, his his obstacles, those hurdles that he was facing in his race, were not completed; they were not out of the way altogether. And then finally, the phrase "I have kept the faith." I have kept the faith. We could look at this from a couple of different angles. Certainly when we think about him guarding or protecting or defending it, we could be thinking about Paul talking about the fact that he protected the truth from error, protected the truth from being able to be infiltrated by false teachers. And certainly he did that. He righted many wrongs of those who taught things that were contrary to the gospel. But maybe even more than that, we think about Paul keeping the faith. He kept it in his own personal life. That is to say, he did not allow his faith to be diminished by those obstacles that he faced in his race. He guarded his faith. He protected his faith. He defended his faith from the wiles or the uh, darts of the wily devil, the one who was firing these obstacles, who was firing these temptations and difficulties in his path. And so Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. So many things we could say about Paul, and it would beg the question of all the things that we know about the Apostle Paul that he was uh, impeded by and the obstacles that he faced, which of those would you point to and think that, I would say, would be Paul's finest hour. That would be the moment that Paul, if you were going to pick one stage or point in his life, that that was, man, that was the most amazing moment of faith that was ever demonstrated or displayed in his life. Maybe it would come to mind, as we'll talk about this week, the time in which him and Silas, he and Silas were... uh, charged for, uh, with basically petty charges because they had uh, called the spirit out of this slave girl. They're, these people were getting money out of her because she had a spirit of divination, and as he called, her out, called that spirit out of her, it prevented those people to make any money off of her any longer, and so uh, things led from one thing to the next, and he ends up in prison, and here he and, and Silas, they're singing hymns to God at midnight. You think, Wow. What faith, what trust in the Lord that as he's thrown into this Philippian jail, he's able to to maintain composure and sing praises to his God. What a fine hour we could say that was. Or maybe we would point to all the things that are written in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all of the physical difficulties that he faced. Remember all of those? He faced lashings in verse 24. He endured beatings with rods in verse 25. He endured stonings in verse 25. He endured a shipwreck, verse 25. He was among floating wreckage for some at least 24 hours, perhaps longer, as he endured that shipwreck. He was traveling by land and sea hundreds of miles as he made multiple missionary journeys all over Asia Minor. Think about it. It's it's not that simple. It's back in the day when you're traveling by foot, you're traveling by, by boat, ship, maybe occasionally by chariot or horse of some sort. But Paul, he didn't have an easy vehicle air conditioned to make his way from one side of Asia Minor to the other. Think about his finest hour perhaps making those day in and day out long distance travels for the sake of the gospel. Certainly we could talk about the persecution that he endured from robbers, from Gentiles and Jews. We could talk about his sleeplessness. We could talk about his hunger. We could talk about even his nakedness. Which of those would you point to as his finest hour? Which of those would you think would be the moment that you could write maybe some sort of script, about a movie about Paul, that being Paul's finest hour? Maybe you would point to Acts chapter 24, in which Paul stood before Governor Felix and courageously defended his faith. Being able to stand before someone of great reputation, of great power, to be able to defend Jesus Christ, maybe not even him, but maybe just King Agrippa to the point in chapter 26 that he's able to get King Agrippa to say, you've almost persuaded me. He defended Christ to that point. Such fine hours, such fine moments in the life of Paul. But I want to share with you, in the time we have remaining, a structure to the last part of 2 Timothy chapter number 4 that made an impression upon me when I was their age, sitting in the front pews in the youth group many years ago. Not, not many, as you know, some of you might say, and you haven't been alive that long. But for me, many years ago, a proportion of my life, right? It made an impact on me hearing the way that this preacher that I admire greatly and still love to this day, how he broke down the remainder of this text in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Could it be that the final days of Paul's life, as he is an old man writing to his son in the faith from a prison cell, could it be that even in those moments, it might have been his finest hour? Why would we say that? Consider in his final hour that Paul experienced four things. He experienced four things. Look in your Bibles, open with me to Second Timothy chapter 4, and we'll see in verses 9 through 12 that Paul experienced loneliness. He experienced loneliness. Read with me. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. In the final moments of his life, Paul had so many people that he influenced, and yet here he is sitting in a jail cell feeling lonely. He says, Demas has forsaken me. Perhaps in this stage in your life you feel lonely because those that were close to you at one point, maybe they were your brothers and sisters in Christ, have deserted the faith or maybe they've left you, no longer having a relationship with you only Luke is with me. Maybe you might say that only so-and-so is the one I have a relationship with any longer. Here's Paul experiencing loneliness in the final moments of his life. Doesn't sound very much like Paul's finest hour, does it? Here he is, sad and downtrodden, but not defeated. As he said, The time of my departure is at hand. He recognizes that he's about to end, not end his life, but leave this life. He's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. He's finished the race. And he knows that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for him, but yet he's still experiencing loneliness. But not only that, he experiences discomfort. Look at verse 13. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books especially the parchments. I remember as I was sitting there listening to this uh, breakdown of this text years ago for the first time, I I was amazed. How, what does that have to, why is Paul writing these things? Why does God want me to know that Paul didn't have a cloak and why he didn't have books or the parchment? But here he is with discomfort. Perhaps he was cold. That jail cell certainly would not have been heated and air-conditioned. It would have been uncomfortable for him. He was desirous of more clothing. You know, as you get older, that things begin to be more difficult in terms of heating your and keeping your own body warm. That as your skin maybe gets a little bit thinner, you desire more clothing and you can't ever see maybe even no matter how much clothing you put on to stay warm. And here's Paul near the end of his life experiencing discomfort. But not just discomfort from a physical standpoint, but also Maybe just a cabin fever standpoint. Maybe he's just itching to get out. He has nothing to do. He asks for the books. He asks for the parchment. At the end of his life, he's going stir crazy, as we might sometimes say it. Again, not defeated. But at the end of his life, he's experiencing not only loneliness, but discomfort. But then notice, he also experiences opposition. Verses 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. We want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and read all those things that he endured, lashings and stonings and and shipwreck and hunger and nakedness and and all those things listed there. And here he is, again, as we said, those hurdles, he hasn't reached the end of them yet. At the end of his life, he is still reaching and meeting opposition. Alexander the coppersmith did him much harm. What that was, we don't know. Perhaps physical, but he says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. He doesn't allow these circumstances to change the Christ-like attitude and mindset that he has. He's not in it for vengeance. He doesn't call for someone to come and pray retribution to Alexander the coppersmith. Yet he's still facing opposition. And then finally, we see that he experiences rejection, rejection even by those that he may have thought would have stood by his side. Notice verse 16, at my first defense, perhaps some sort of uh, jurisdictional jury type of approach, right, where he is uh, able to stand before maybe someone who's going to be his judge, and maybe someone could come and stand at his defense, maybe vouch for his character, maybe vouch for the fact that he's really not this, all this bad that, that people are making him out to be. And yet he says at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Again, the attitude of Paul, may it not be charged against them. Loneliness, discomfort, opposition, rejection. Could this be Paul's finest hour? You say, well, why would that be his finest hour? Why not when he's singing praises at midnight? Why not when he's floating on the wreckage of the shipwreck? Why not whenever he is uh, enduring the stonings and maybe the next day he still goes back and preaches the gospel again? Maybe that would be his finest hour. Why would you say here at the last moments of his life that this would be his finest hour? Could it be? that in these final moments of Paul's life, there was never an hour that he looked more like his Lord and Savior. There was never a moment perhaps in his life when he looked more like his Lord and Savior as he did in these moments, as he experienced the loneliness and the discomfort and the opposition and the rejection. Why would we say that? Think about it. At the end of his life, Christ experienced these same things. He experienced loneliness Remember when he asked his apostles to pray while he went to pray himself, and yet they fell asleep? How does that feel when you're at, knowing that you're at the end of your life and those that are closest to you, to their credit, yes, it had been a long day, but he'd asked them to pray and yet they fell asleep. How lonely must that have felt. He was betrayed by one of his own, one of the 12. Judas betrays him, someone he had been close to, someone who was entrusted the money bag And yet, loneliness, betrayed by one of his own. Mark chapter 14, verse number 50, we find that when he's betrayed in the garden, all fled from his presence. Jesus was lonely. Jesus stood alone at the end of his life. But not only loneliness, but also discomfort. Time would fail us to tell of all the discomfort that Jesus faced at the end of his life. But certainly we could point to the fact in John 19, verse number one, that he was scourged. That word that we don't use very often because thankfully we don't see this in existence, at least in our society, any longer. But this lashing that took place, not just a whipping with some sort of of whip that was just leather, but was oftentimes entwined with pieces of bone, shards of glass, maybe some type of nail. And as they would take that whip and that, they would scourge that individual as they were tied to a post, it would rip into the flesh and pull it off of their body, perhaps even exposing the backside of someone's ribs. Discomfort in this scourging. He was crowned with a crown of thorns, John 19, verse number 2. He was spat upon, he was mocked, he was beaten. He was stripped of his clothing, given a robe. Think about not just the discomfort from a physical perspective, but an embarrassment perspective. Jesus endured discomfort at the end of his life. He was burdened with the cross, was unable to bear it to the point that someone was compelled to carry that cross for him. But even after all these things, he's burdened with the cross. And of course, above all, crucified, not just the fact that he had nails put into his wrists and into his feet, but also that he hung there for a good amount of time, his back having already been torn up by the scourging. And yet, as he is up against this wooden post, you can only imagine the splintering that would have been poking into his torn up flesh. Jesus certainly was uncomfortable in the, moments, the waning moments of his life. So he experienced loneliness, he experienced discomfort, he experienced opposition. You think about the kangaroo trial, the unlawful trial that took place. We can spend much time talking about this, but the fact that he was even drugged into the court of Annas at night was a violation. There needed to be witnesses, there needed to be people that brought charges that were accurate, there needed to be two or three witnesses. All the things that surrounded Jesus' trial were unfair and unlawful. He met opposition. It was almost as if he didn't stand a chance. And you understand what I mean by that. Yes, Jesus stood a chance. He's God. But it was like the the cars were stacked against him, how much opposition he was facing. There were unfounded charges, as we mentioned a moment ago. People were saying, come, do you have anything to bring at Jesus? Uh, His trial charging against him? Unfounded charges. And an unequal exchange. You talk about cars being stacked against you. You've done nothing wrong, and yet you are exchanged for the murderous Barabbas. Jesus meets opposition at the end of his life. And finally, of course, he experienced rejection. He was denied three times by Peter. He knew this would happen. He told Peter it would happen. But I'm sure it didn't take out the sting anymore. One of his closest followers, Peter, denying that he had anything to do with him. Rejection. As Paul said, at my first defense, no one stood by me. Here's Jesus. All that he had done for his followers, all that he had proven to, him, to them with his miraculous deeds, and yet they still denied and deserted him. You think about the fact that next, we've lost our clicker here. There we go. No one comes to his defense at trial, just like with Peter. But just like just like with Paul. Here he is, no one comes to his defense. He's having to hold his own rejection. Only one disciple is recorded that we are aware of at the cross. Perhaps how would that have made Jesus feel? That these followers not only did they deny him, not only did they desert him at his betrayal, but to our knowledge only one of them could muster the courage to go and be at his death at his crucifixion obviously this sermon is not one of those that is a lot of rah rah and pep but certainly as you think about Paul's finest hour I'd ask you to think about maybe where you are in your own life at the end of your life maybe you're close if it is said of your life that you have all the friends and loved ones and family around you that you could ever wish for, people that are close to you, maybe it's because you didn't do as Jesus said. That is to say, he said that unless you hate father or mother or brother more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Sometimes following Jesus is going to result in division of bloodline family. And it might result in loneliness from that perspective. Yes, we have a church family in which we find so much encouragement, but sometimes there's also discouragement that comes from being lonely among our blood relatives because we love them. It also could be said that maybe if you're so comfortable, you don't have any difficulties towards the end of your life, you have all of your needs taken care of, maybe we haven't done quite as much as we should, it's not to say that we ought not to, to take care of the things we ought to take care of towards the end of our life. But it is to say that at the end of Paul's life, he looked perhaps more like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, more than any other moment. You know, we always want to be the ones that have that great, amazing movie scene moment, right? Where we're conquering, we're victorious. We don't want to be the guy in the prison cell who's lonely, cold, but it might be said that that was Paul's finest hour. This evening, I would encourage you to be like Paul, to strive to be like him in all of your ways as he imitated Christ. He said, therefore, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we can say that he was successful in doing that the waning moments of his life. One of the ways that he imitated his, his Lord and Savior was that he was obedient, even in baptism. No, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for the remission of sins, but to fulfill all righteousness, And the Apostle Paul, as we knew him at the time, Saul of Tarsus, obeyed in baptism. Be like your Lord and Savior. Be like Paul in that way. But also, as Paul found himself to be in need of correction at times, he always strove to do what was right. He always desired to find a way to be more and more like his Savior. That's what we ask of you this evening. Be more and more like your Savior. If you've drifted away from him, if there's anything that we can do, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.